Welcome to another week of Mum Will Know with me, Claire Wind, midwife and mum. Join me each week as we delve into topics from conception to kids in kindy with the aim to become confident and well-informed mums. This week our episode has been generously supported by The Sweet Set, a mum-run online store that offers the perfect solution and guidance to packing your hospital bag. If you've heard my birth story, you'd know I could have done it with a bit of help in this department, having not packed my hospital bag till I was in early labour, just hours before giving birth. Uh, And this week, the Sweet Set are offering a giveaway through our Instagram page, which is at mumwillknow, of some gorgeous mama must-haves. Basically, a collection of goodies that you can't do without as a mum. And on top of that, the Sweet Set are offering a special discount code for Mum Will Know listeners of 15% off all products with the code MWK at counter. One extra special side that I love of the Sweet Set as a business is Sal, the owner's commitment from day one to partnering with three different charities by donating some of her profits with every purchase. I'm especially a fan of one of her chosen charities, Send Hope Not Flowers. So make sure you're on Instagram so you can get in on the giveaway action and take advantage of this discount code. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Labor. The sometimes scary, often exciting process to meet your long-awaited baby. So what's it really look like? I'm sure you've probably heard horror stories from your family and friends about the hours and hours and hours of labour that they've experienced, Uh, but I also hope you've heard some positive labour and birth experiences too. Uh, If not, you can listen to my birth experience, which was episode two, uh, and I share my positive experience. And if you've heard any of my podcasts, you'll know I can't stop talking about my birth. It was that good. Uh, But yeah, if you're pregnant and heading towards that big day, it might be helpful to get a clear understanding of how labor progresses, what's normal, and what your care providers are looking for. So to get an overview, labor is basically one continuous process which results in the birth of a baby. As midwives and other care providers, you'll notice we talk about labor in stages. Uh, Most people know of three stages, but more and more today, people are recognizing uh, the importance of what's known as a fourth stage, which I'll briefly touch on. Uh, And when women are assessed, there are a range of physical and emotional changes, which can signify which stage of labor the woman is in. Uh, These signs are important for your care provider to take note of to ensure that labor and birth are progressing normally, and if they're not, to know when intervention's required. I'm not taking you through this information today so that you sit there watching the clock or you become hung up on which stage of labor you're in, but I think it's important to be educated and aware of what normal labor and birth looks like, to prepare yourself and to have uh, educated expectations, I guess, for what's to come. So in terms of timing for labor, it's normal for a baby to be born between the 37th and 42nd week of pregnancy. Uh, In this period, basically the baby is fully formed and they're just putting on weight. As a side note, I think I've mentioned this uh, in a previous episode, but your expected date of birth, uh, which is the date you've been given and the day you're calculating how far along in your pregnancy against, 
uh, is probably not going to be the day your baby is born. I think it's only like 5% of babies are born on their expected date of birth. Uh, So anyway, as a woman gets closer to the day that they are going to give birth, they'll often report experiencing stronger or more frequent Braxton Hicks, which are the kind of mini contractions or tightenings of the uterus, uh, along with some other changes like changes to vaginal discharge, uh, and sometimes they'll feel the baby drop lower in the pelvis. So then it's a bit of a waiting game to see when labor is actually going to start. For some, if you go past your expected date of birth, you're basically hanging on to every Braxton Hicks, hoping that it's a sign your labor is beginning. Uh, And for others like myself, you aren't quite prepared for labor to start when it does, and you might almost be in denial uh, that it's actually labor for the first few hours. So let's get into the four stages of labor, what it feels like, what's actually going on. So the first stage of labor is where Contractions of the muscle layer of the uterus cause thinning out, which is called effacement, and dilation or the opening of the cervix. A lot of people think that the only thing that's important is the dilation of the cervix to that magic number, 10 centimetres, which is fully dilated, uh, where there's no cervix actually left to feel around the presenting part. But the cervix has a lot of other things to do, a lot of changes it needs to go through. So to understand what that looks like, for the first time mum especially, her cervix starts off being like almost four centimetres long, so it needs to soften and thin out before it gets the chance to dilate. One of the important factors as a midwife or doctor is that we're feeling for in a vaginal examination or internal examination uh, how soft the cervix is. Is it squishy or is it quite hard Uh, and how thick it is? It needs to thin out to paper thin before really seeing much progress in the dilation for a first-time mum. For women who have had a baby before, the effacement or the thinning and the dilation of the cervix can actually happen simultaneously, which is often why a second or subsequent baby comes much faster than the first. So the first stage of labour can then be broken down into two further stages, a latent phase and an active phase of labour. And the active phase also has its own little extra phase known as transition. Sorry if that's all confusing, but I'll flesh it out. (laughs) Uh, So early labor or the latent phase is where uterine contractions are present, but the dilation of the cervix is really slow. So this can last like from hours to days. And sometimes this latent phase can be really confusing And, you know, women can jump straight into thinking this is time to go and it's all exciting and it's happening, but really the best place for you to be is at home, relaxed and resting as much as possible. A long latent phase is often where some women start timing their labor and that's probably why you've heard of labors that last 24 hours or 48 hours. But when we as healthcare professionals look at how long someone has labored, the latent phase or this early labor stage actually isn't counted and we only start tracking progress from active or established labor. So in this first early labor latent phase stage, you can have a few changes. A bloody show may be present, which is basically a bloody or reddish brown mucus plug that comes out, which shows that there are changes happening to the cervix. And as contractions start, most women are likely to call their care provider or the birthing suite, to let them know what's happening and to get some reassurance and guidance as to what to do. So that's a really great idea. From this initial phone call, often the midwife will ask questions in order to gauge 
what stage of labor you're in, which then guides what she's going to recommend. If the woman is describing irregular and short contractions and is able to talk through or be distracted from the contractions, most often these women will be recommended to stay at home. And I know this can be disappointing for some women. However, like I said, in this early stage of labor, the best place for you to be to help your labor progress is in the comfort of your own space where you feel safe and can rest. It's a good idea to eat at this stage if you can, give yourself energy for what's to come. But also if it's the middle of the night, just take some Panadol and see if you can go back to sleep. But again, you'll need the rest. Uh, It's important that you be prepared for this early stage so that you understand what's happening and not to get concerned that it actually can go on for days. And then the next part of this first stage of labor is the active phase or what's known as established labor. And as I said before, this is when we actually start timing, I guess, your labor. Often labor is regarded as active or established once the cervix is four centimeters dilated and you're having kind of regular contractions. So that latent phase that may have gone on for days has changed your cervix and started the process of dilating it. So generally contractions in active labor have increased in strength, uh, in frequency, in duration, And contractions will be more regular and will be all-consuming for the woman. She won't be able to talk through or be distracted during a contraction. So this is where the cervix fully thins out, it dilates, and the baby descends and rotates through the pelvis. Often care providers will expect to see normal progress of one centimetre dilation every two hours for first-time mums and one centimetre every hour for someone who has had a baby before. So when looking at how the uterus actually works to push a baby out, of course, pain is happening uh, in a contraction, and this is because there's a lack of oxygen making it to the muscle fibers. So the way a contraction works is basically it causes the upper section of the uterus to shorten and to thicken, which slowly makes the uterus smaller and smaller, which, as you can imagine, forces the baby out one way or the other. So it gets pushed lower and lower in the pelvis, hits the cervix and pretty much forces it to open due to the constant and growing pressure that is placed on it. And in an almost cyclical fashion, the more pressure put on the cervix, the more oxytocin is released, which feeds back to the uterus to contract more. So it's this, yeah, it's this feedback mechanism, which is awesome. So this active stage is often the time when a woman feels that she needs more support and coming into the hospital or having her midwife come to her may provide some emotional relief. I thought I'd also mention here maybe the importance of positioning during labor. So there's a lot of research which shows that the positions you're in during labor and for the birth of your baby have been shown to affect not only the comfort of the mother, but also the baby's well-being, as well as how effective the contractions are and how long labor can go on for. So upright positions are believed to be optimal as the pelvic diameters, which are like the bony uh, openings that the baby needs to squeeze its way through, increase when upright. So that makes the descent of the baby through the pelvis less obstructed and potentially smoother. Also, something to touch base on is what's known as rupture of membranes, which is basically the waters breaking. Um, And on all the movies, this seems to happen with a big bang when someone's out shopping or something, and then all of a sudden, ginormous contractions occur and the woman has to push immediately. But that's not 
normally the way it happens for most people. Sometimes your waters do break before contractions start and sometimes contractions actually won't even start once your waters have broken and you may be recommended an induction to start the contractions. But most often the labour starts and at some stage in the labour the waters will break. And that can even be right at the end when you're pushing and the baby is born. So generally, a spontaneous rupture of membranes happens due to the force of contractions. One positive of your membranes remaining intact or not broken whilst you're contracting is that the sac of amniotic fluid can potentially provide cushion or protection to the placenta during the squeezing of a contraction so that it's not being compressed, which can actually result in a cutoff of oxygen to the baby. Another point to be aware of with your membranes rupturing is that if they have broken, there is potential for infection to come up and inside to the baby as it's no longer protected from the outside world. Because of this, if your membranes have been ruptured for a prolonged period, so some places say 12 hours, some 18 hours, some 24, it's normal to be recommended intravenous antibiotics during the labour to protect the baby from potential infections. And this is also the reason an induction may be recommended if your labor hasn't started on its own. Okay, so in this active phase of labor, there's also a final stage, which I mentioned earlier, known as transition, which is where the cervix gets closer to fully dilated. Some say from seven or eight centimeters to fully dilated. In this period, a lot of women experience very intense feelings. The pain tends to heighten and women can feel irritable, emotional, panicky. This is the point of labor where you hear women declare either they can't do this anymore, they need an epidural, they uh, ask the midwife or doctor to just cut the baby out, or they say they're giving up, they're going home. So it's a really important thing to try and remember or to get your partner or your support person to know about because then when you are going through this transition, recognizing that it is transition can almost be a reassuring sign that you are really close and it probably won't be long until you meet your baby. So then finally you are fully dilated and you are now starting the second stage of labor. So this second stage is basically from fully dilated, so there's no cervix left, to the baby being born. Uterine contractions as well as abdominal muscles contract to force the baby through the pelvis and out of the vagina. And this is basically where, whether it's uncontrollable or not, you're pushing. Uh, People think that once they hear that they're fully dilated, they've done the hard part. And for some people that is true, but especially for first-time mums, there is still a long process to go and second stage can take a number of hours. I will point out though, in most hospitals, the guidelines would be that a doctor should intervene and help out if a first-time mum hasn't pushed the baby out within two hours and for someone who's had a vaginal birth before one hour. Uh, I'd recommend talking with your care provider to get an idea of how long they are happy to allow before becoming worried and suggesting intervention, just so that you're aware. So it can take a while before anyone starts seeing the baby emerging, which is known as crowning, where the presenting part, most often the head, starts to be visible at the vulva. In this pushing stage, the bladder is pushed out of the way and the rectum is flattened, which of course means that anything that was in the rectum is pushed out. So yes, most women will poo at this stage. 
And another thing to be aware of is that women who have an epidural sometimes feel the sensation to push uh, and they might describe it as fullness or a need to poo. But sometimes they don't feel the sensation to push because the epidural is so heavy and they actually need to be coached when and how to push. Whereas women without an epidural should feel a spontaneous urge to push, which is almost uncontrollable, like the body is just doing it itself. In terms of maternal position, again, research shows that upright positions can shorten the length of a second stage, probably due to gravity, as well as decreasing the likelihood of interventions needed like an episiotomy or instrumental deliveries. And if you're interested in hearing about some current research suggesting Australia has a potential overuse of obstetric interventions, make sure you listen into next week's episode as I interview a researcher in Queensland all about this. So back to positioning for birth, consider options like standing, leaning forward whilst kneeling, hands and knees, birth stool or squatting. We also know that in pregnancy, especially at term with a big heavy baby, lying down flat can cause compression of the blood vessels which circulate oxygen. So if you are wanting to lie down or you need to because of an epidural, the best position to be pushing in is lying on your side. Other than maternal position, there are a number of other factors that work together to ensure the second stage progresses smoothly. The mother's pelvis and in particular the diameters of the inlet or the brim and the outlet will affect how the baby progresses through the pelvis. Uh, So as mentioned, upright maternal positions can increase the size of these openings so the baby can make it through more smoothly. And then there's the baby's position. So the way the baby is lying will determine whether a vaginal birth is firstly possible and then how easily the baby can navigate through the pelvis to be born. A baby that's lying transverse or sideways uh, won't actually be able to be born vaginally because the part of the baby that hits the cervix is likely to be like the shoulder or the elbow or the hip. So the most common position for a baby at term is head down and the optimal position for the baby to be in is to have its back to the mum's tummy or the front of mum and to have its head tucked in, chin to chest. Thankfully, even if your baby isn't in this position to start the labour and it's maybe in a posterior position, the way that the contractions work by making the uterus smaller and smaller and pushing the baby against the bones of the pelvis and the muscles of the pelvic floor, generally most babies will turn during the labour into this optimal anterior position to birth. But if a baby starts in that anterior position, it may mean the progress of labor is faster and there's no time needed to turn the baby. Okay, so we've had a few deviations from the point of second stage there, but the baby is now born. And then comes the third stage. So the third stage starts from the birth of the baby and goes through to the separation and delivery of the placenta and membranes and then any control or management needed to control bleeding. A lot of people aren't aware, but once the baby is born, the uterus continues to contract and this forces the heavy placenta to shed off the lining of the uterus and as it falls away, it pulls with it the membranes on its way into the vagina and out of the body. If you've seen a placenta or you can imagine like a small dinner plate almost, this is the size of the open wound left inside of your uterus as the placenta comes away. So from here, it's really important that the uterus continues contracting, bringing the opposing sides of the uterus together to put pressure on the open placental side and stop that bleeding. So blood loss is normal in this process and a gush of blood actually is a good sign that the placenta has separated from the uterus. 
And normal blood loss at birth is considered to be up to 500 mils, where a hemorrhage is considered above 500 mils. However, it's important to note that blood loss of 400 mils for, say, like a tiny woman who has had anemia or something may have a greater effect and subsequent complications than maybe a six or 700 mil blood loss from a tall, big, healthy woman. So the amount of blood loss doesn't necessarily correlate to how well a woman will feel postnatally. So third stage is about delivery of the placenta and membranes and controlling the bleeding that comes following that. So in terms of managing this process, there are two ways that should be discussed with you in the lead up to your birth so that you can decide what sounds best for you. The first uh, option is active third stage management, which is where a synthetic oxytocin injection is given in the mother's thigh as the baby's born, which causes the contractions of the uterus to, you know, keep going basically. The umbilical cord is then clamped and after a few signs of separation that your care provider is looking for, controlled cord traction is gently applied to slowly pull or guide the placenta out. Active management is generally recommended in most hospital settings as it's shown to be associated with decreased rates of hemorrhage, which is the bleeding I mentioned, and it will also decrease the length of third stage. It is also the safest route to take if any other interventions have occurred in your labor, for example, like the use of synthetic oxytocin as a drip during your labor, which strengthens or starts your contractions. And then the other option is a physiological third stage, and this is where no intervention is used and things are just left to themselves. So basically, the body continues contracting and delivers the placenta just as it has delivered the baby. Ways to encourage the separation of the placenta physiologically, so without intervening, include breastfeeding because as the baby sucks at the breast, oxytocin is released and that stimulates contractions of the uterus. And then also being in an upright position, like for the birth, can be helpful through the use of gravity. And sometimes maternal effort may be encouraged if time is ticking on, where the woman can cough or give a small push, which may help the placenta to separate and deliver. It's important to note that if a physiological third stage is what a woman chooses, there's always the option to have the synthetic oxytocin injection and active management if things aren't looking as if they're properly progressing. So, for example, in most hospitals, care providers are happy to allow an hour for the placenta and membranes to be birthed if choosing physiological third stage. However, if it's getting close to that hour and there's not really any signs of the placenta coming, it's likely that the oxytocin injection will be recommended. It's also important to be aware that if a physiological third stage is chosen, then cord clamping shouldn't be necessary and is seen as an intervention, which may interrupt the physiological delivery of the placenta. Another little side note here, but people often ask about delayed cord clamping nowadays, as there was some controversy over the benefits to the baby of this practice. However, it's now pretty commonplace for delayed cord clamping, which is waiting for the cord to stop pulsing for more than a minute after the birth of the placenta before clamping the cord. Uh, yeah, it's pretty commonplace for that to happen in most hospitals. The research shows positive benefits, including higher iron levels due to the fact that the baby's basically getting like 80 or 100 mils more blood from the placenta into their bodies when clamping is delayed. So, of course, check with your care provider, but this really is almost normal practice everywhere now. Okay, finally, I just wanted to quickly highlight the fourth stage. 
This less known about, less talked about stage of inverted commas labor covers the first few hours after birth. In these hours, it's important that a few things happen to aid the new mum's recovery. Contractions continue even once the placenta and membranes are delivered. And this is to cause the uterus to get smaller and to slow the bleeding, as I mentioned. Uh, And women often feel these as what's known as afterbirth pains, which are especially strong for women who have had more than one children or with subsequent children. The pain is also more noticeable when breastfeeding because of the increase in oxytocin as the baby suckles at the breast. It's also expected that women pass urine in these first few hours following the birth to ensure that the bladder doesn't overfill. Because the bladder is pushed out of the way as the baby comes down in that second stage, as I mentioned, it's important to see uh, normal use of bladder again. And it's really important if the woman has had a urinary catheter during labor, like for an epidural, to see that her sensation and control is maintained as usual. Often blood pressure has dropped due to the blood loss with birth, so monitoring a blood pressure is normal. And then in these first few hours, it's just so important to rest, eat, and drink. You need to re-energize. And of course, in those first few hours, it's especially important to establish breastfeeding. And I talk heaps about breastfeeding in the two-part series, Is Breast Best? And I think it's episode seven where I talk through how to establish good breastfeeding. So there's a bit of an overview of what labor looks like. There's so much more to labor than what I've covered here. And I'd love to know if there's particular topics that you want to hear more on. But hopefully this gives you an idea of the length that labor can take and why it is uh, such a long and, excuse the pun, laborious mission. And if you are pregnant, I hope this helps prepare you for what's to come and can give you some reassurance and clarity when you're going through it. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate the feedback I'm receiving. And if you have any comments or questions, please do contact me through Instagram or Facebook at Mum Will Know. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a second to jump over onto Apple Podcasts and give Mum Will Know a five-star rating and a positive review. Make sure you've hit subscribe so you're all set ready for next week's interview episode. And don't forget to head to Instagram to enter this week's giveaway. Have a good one.